Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 78. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Katerina Bordet. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we kiss the idea awake from its beauty sleep, drag it out of bed, pour a ton of freshly brewed mocha in it, then wait until the caffeine kicks in and the idea starts spinning and spinning, turning into a whirlwind that sweeps up all the gems from the dirt, but at the same time shakes off all the loose ends, filler words and bad grammar until it becomes... Literary gold. I have never considered the, the kissing awake of a story. And, and by God, yes, Filling it full of caffeine to start off with is probably a very appropriate tactic here at the round table. Katarina, that is awesome, ma'am. Thank you. You 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 have a future in this business. Caffeine? <laughs> caffeine and I think story workshopping. Absolutely. Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Katarina, for making the time. I'm delighted to have you back here in the sumptuous Roundtable Virtual Studio as my co-pilot. I appreciate you making the time. It's awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Well, and, and let's let's just dive right into this. No, no, no banding about or dwaddling. Let's let's welcome our guest host back, dear friends, from his 20 minutes with okay, we'll call it what it was, what probably closer to 40. Uh, but oh my god, it was awesome. Uh please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, Justin Landon. Justin, uh, I, I cannot tell you how delighted and excited I am to get a chance to to brainstorm a story with you, dude. This is gonna be awesome. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun on the, the, the 20 minutes with. Have you ever done a 20 minutes with where the uh, where the guest host spoke for 35 minutes? Uh, <laughs> like all by himself? All by himself. All by know. himself. Actually, I will not name names, but yes, there have been a couple where it's like, ah, <laughs> we don't need any questions. He's just talking. Uh, uh, and that's awesome, usually, because they usually have a lot to say. Uh, so, so, yes, on occasion that has happened. That wasn't the case last 20 minutes with you. All right. Well, I appreciate that. No, 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 no. You were, you were, you were spot on. We were prompting you. Katerina was actually goading you. That was good stuff. That was good stuff. So, so J- Justin, uh, actually, I had one question that I didn't get to ask uh, on the 20 minutes with just because we ran out of time. Do you write fiction? Uh, um, it's a good question, Dave. <laughs> I, have predicated all, I have predicated my science fiction and fantasy life on the fact that I do not write. Uh-huh. And, and part of that is because I believe in a community built around um, – Aspiring writers trying to become writers, it changes the relationship between professional writers and professional editors and aspiring writers. And so I have always held to the belief that um, I will get further in my career as a blogger and in my desire to be inside the industry by not appearing to have something that I want. Justin, may I just observe that your career in politics is coming out right now. You're not answering the question, sir. I'll get there. Uh, but, 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 I, but I believe I too believe, many layers, Dave. Too many layers. I believe when you tell a professional writer of a certain stature, I'm I'm a writer too. Like it, it can change the dynamic of the relationship, right? Because okay. because now they have something that I want, and so I've always presented myself. And and for most of my life, it has been true. I do not have an interest in writing. I have not historically had an interest in writing. Uh, I dabble occasionally. Um, a very prominent editor sent me a note the other day. She said, I heard you're writing a book. I want to see it. And I <laughs> said, I don't know where you heard that dirty lie from. It's not true. 
And that's the story that I'm sticking to. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I credit our listeners with the savvy and, and intellect uh, to read between the lines of that answer. But thank you. That was, that was a very eloquent and well-put answer. You have a, you have a, a strong future in, in politics, I think. So, you ask again after the election. <laughs> after the election, exactly. Justin, dude, there is so much going on in your life right now. And, and I just I want to take a minute and just let our listeners know i mean obviously rocket talk commands much of your attention feel free to wax rhapsodic on that delicious bit of podcasting goodness uh, uh but what else are you working on tell tell our listeners what's going on in the life of justin landon well you know it's it's busy uh i guess you know as, as you mentioned last episode my day job is is demanding um and it it absorbs a lot of my time i actually work on elections frequently and, and that kind of thing so that's always demanding a lot of my time but in, in our world um Rocket Talk, of course, is ongoing. It, it is. It's in its uh, just finished up its first year. We had a blast with it. Uh, I think it's going to continue on into the future. As far as I can tell, uh, Tor actually added two podcasts after mine. I think we established a market, and now they've decided to add two more podcasts to the slate, which is great. Uh, Mavish Marads, Midnight in Karachi, and then Jonathan Strahan and Gary K. Wolf have brought the Cood Street podcast over to Tor.com as well. So. That's been an interesting experience. Um, and I got I got to thank you. Let me just interrupt. I got to thank you for that episode with Mavesh. I I was so blown away by that. Uh, I immediately reached out to her, and we're going to have her as a guest host on the roundtable as well. She's awesome. <laughs> She's amazing, absolutely amazing, and and uh, has a lot of interesting things to say from a much different uh, perspective than say me. Very much so, and most of us. She brings a, a wonderful, fresh perspective to things. But I would say the, the biggest thing that's going on for me is Tor.com has launched a thing they're calling the imprint, which is a full uh, imprint of Macmillan and Tor called Tor.com the imprint. And it will be dedicated toward novellas, serials, and short novels probably in the future. And it's, it's digital focused, but uh, has the potential to, to do, to do full scale uh, print as well. And uh, they have, uh, allowed me to be a commissioning editor for that. and uh, Wow, dude, that's awesome. The first story that I'm commissioning uh, and working on for Tor.com The Imprint is Daniel Polanski's The Builders, which is a uh, which is a novella set in a world with sentient animals. And, and the basic premise of the story, as I've described it, is um, Red Wall Goes Grimdark. <laughs> <laughs> that's fabulous. Oh my god. And and I'm so excited about that the imprint line. That that is a bold initiative and and god I hope them the best with that. That just makes so much sense. We're very excited about it and and I have a very very small small role in it, but Lee Harris is the senior editor formerly of Angry Robot Books and he's uh, cranking through manuscripts and Irene Gallo, the art director of Tor is is the uh, the associate publisher for Tor.com the imprint and uh they've just hired some some other uh, support staff, so it's starting to hum along we expect the first book to be out i think in uh, late summer or fall and i think uh the the builders by polanski is is due out in kind of the first wave although we don't we don't really have a schedule for that yet um the cover artist is working on the cover and so we're, we're humming right along it's really exciting i will just throw out there that uh anybody listened to the 20 minutes with and and heard what I had to say at the beginning of the podcast or what I think makes a good story. If you've got to develop a serial or, or, or very short novel that, that uh, meets those criteria, find my email address. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and let's make it real easy for them. What is your email address, Justin? 
is justin.landon at gmail.com. I'm easy to find. Bam. There you go. Awesome. What about conventions? Are you, are you hitting any cons this year? You know, I, uh, so last year I was the literary co-chair for WorldCon in London. Right. Which was fun. I got to help put together that program. It was exhausting though. And so, um, I, I'm not going to do as many conventions this year as I did last year. I did Confusion in January in Detroit. That's, that's kind of become my home convention despite living in Texas. I would really encourage people to go to that, especially aspiring writers. There are a ton of writers that go to that. And I may again be at Worldcon. A lot of that's going to depend on whether or not I'm nominated for a Hugo again this year. Uh, I was nominated last year for best related work and was sixth on the fan writer ballot. So I just missed the second nomination. So if I'm, if I'm nominated uh, this year, I'll, I'll probably go again. If I'm not, unfortunately, it's probably just not going to be in the, uh, in the cards, but we will see. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Let me let me turn the mic over to Katerina just very quickly. Uh, Katerina, I know that you have multiple projects that you're working on and, and bringing to fruition. Uh, share with our listeners what, what, what's coming up for you, ma'am. Well, at the at the moment, I'm in the last edit round for my new book, which is supposed to come out. Well, I hope in the early summer. It's called Danube Waves. It's the sequel to the Coffee Legacy. Yes, a lot of coffee going on here. Um, and which will also appear as a podcast, as the first one did. And Dave was so nice to promise to lend me his voice as well. Absolutely. That's really exciting. So I'm, I'm hoping to, to send out the lines to my cast soon. And what's also happening is that actually we're really close to our fifth anniversary of our short story podcast that I'm doing with my husband, Mick. Hey, Mick. So <laughs> he can actually hear you. He's in the studio, the actual <laughs> studio, but we don't have, we don't have internet down there yet. So, ah. um, and what's the name of the podcast? It's the Every Photo Tales podcast. So you've got photo prompts where people then can send in their short stories that were inspired by it and we'll record them and, and publish them. And yeah, we've done this for five years now. I can barely believe it. <laughs> so in between that and, and the books and moving and regular work, it's, it's been quite busy. <laughs> I can imagine. What's the URL for Every Photo Tales? It's everyphototales.com. And um, you can find my stuff under mimer.net which is my maiden name but i just kept the domain m-a-i-m-e-r correct yes yes very good Awesome. Well, Justin, Katerina, I will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes so our listeners can make with the clickety-click and, and and consume all the awesomeness that's going on in your lives. But for now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd love to pause for just a moment and give some give some podcast airtime to another fabulous podcast or, or ebook or event. Who knows? Uh, uh, but we'll, we'll dedicate some time to that. And when we come back, I would love to sit down with both of you and workshop a story. What do you say? Excellent. Absolutely. I'm stoked. So am I. Let's do this thing. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Under 30,000 feet of water, the exploration rig Leaguer has discovered an oil field larger than Saudi Arabia. With oil so sweet and pure, nations would go to war for the rights to it. But as the team starts drilling exploration wells in their race to claim the sweet crude, A deep rumbling beneath the ocean floor shakes them to their core. Something has been living in the oil. Paul E. Cooley's The Black is a techno-horror thriller reminiscent of movies such as Leviathan and The Thing and puts terror right into readers' ears. 
The Black, a free podcast novel available from shadowpublications.com and iTunes. Ocean exploration will never be the same. Welcome back, dear friends, to the to the big buffet here at the round table. The feast and the dessert all rolled into one because that's what we do here. Everything is tasty, tasty goodness. And and now we're at that point where it's time to sit down and workshop a story. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer stepping up and offering his his nascent idea for 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 criticism, assessment, and brainstorming goodness. Our guest writer for this episode, friends, by day, you couldn't distinguish him from the common gentry on the coast of British Columbia, Canada. He paints houses, he fathers two adorable children, and loves a wife who he claims could have done a hell of a lot better than him, although I'm willing to bet she'd disagree. That's all the usual stuff, but friends, this is a facade, for beneath that mild-mannered exterior lies the heart of a creative lion. He makes music, he paints, he sculpts, and he loves to create worlds. Of all the creative mediums, sound, pigment, stone, wood, it is the palette of words that most compels him to create, create, and create again. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Luke Coster. Luke, dude, I know how hard it is. Trust me, I've been in your seat, and I have nothing but respect and admiration for you stepping up and offering a story, man. We appreciate it. I'm so scared. I just peed a little. <laughs> That's okay. We clean up the chairs afterwards. It, it happens all the time. Don't sweat Aww. it. So- I came prepared. I wore a diaper. <laughs> At least to stop farting. That's right. God. That was not me. <laughs> we, yeah, that's what they all say. We're, we're not. We're not going there. We're not going there. I, I got to ask you, Luke. Uh, uh, painting music uh, uh, is. Is there any place in the world where where we can sample some of these wares? Yeah, my online presence is sadly lacking in a lot of regards. I have okay. some pictures of my artwork on my Facebook profile. Okay, that's a, that's about it. All right. Any any plans to change that in the future? Uh, yes. When I start getting to the point where I have some more finished works that I wish to share with the world, I think that's a prudent choice. And and I I I am but one of many voices, I'm sure, who will look forward to that time when uh, when we can see these wonderful bits. Because I'm utterly intrigued. I'm always fascinated by multifaceted creatives who actually explore multiple formats, multiple. I, I will call them genres of, of creative expression. Uh, uh, it's just, it intrigues me. But that's that's not why we're here, Luke. We're here because you have a story to pitch, and by God, we're ready to hear it. So you know the routine. We give you five to eight minutes. Give us the the, the title, the genre, your target audience. Give us uh, 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 the, the tagline, the hook line, the, the themes. Introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us the basic tent poles of the story arc, and we'll be rocking with an awesome round table brainstorming session. So I'm going to get out of the way, sir. The mic is all yours. All right. This is going to be a fantasy novel, likely targeted at a young adult audience. I don't know the title yet. Any ideas would be appreciated. The hook line is, a young paladin of impeccable honor must hunt down and stop his corrupt brother, even if it takes him down the same road that led his brother to his fall. The theme is, 
The end doesn't justify the means when the means lead you to a different end. The story takes place in a human world. The people worship and serve a number of gods who are in constant conflict with each other. It focuses on an order of paladins in service to the god of light, as well as one of the servants of the dark god. The protagonist, who is named Akoni, is a young paladin in service to the god of light. He is idealistic and a little naive, but he's firm in his convictions and conducts himself with utmost integrity. He believes in doing the right thing no matter the cost to himself. His world is very much black and white. He is supported by the rest of the order and is esteemed by many as the embodiment of what a paladin should be. He is the pride and joy of his father, who is the head of their order. Some of his closer friends worry that he is trying too hard to live up to an impossible ideal. The antagonist, who is named Destin, is Akoni's older brother. He's a disgraced ex-paladin who is banished by his order for violating their most sacred precepts. He still fights against the dark god, but on his own terms. He believes that the paladins are too weak to do what must be done in order to achieve victory. He follows the path of what he believes to be the greater good, doing whatever is required to achieve what is necessary. He is a lonely man, shunned by everyone he cares about. And now for the story. Act 1. The story begins with the antagonist, Destin, acquiring a powerful suit of cursed armor to aid him in his fight against the dark god and his servants. He does this by killing the previous owner. It's at this point that the protagonist, Akoni, is chosen by his god to find his brother and do what is necessary to stop him. Destin, meanwhile, dons the armor and discovers that its power is beyond his reach. It also has him trapped, not allowing him to remove it. While he is trying to find a way to unlock the armor's power and free himself, his brother catches up to him. When he does, the power in the armor comes to life and forces him to attack and nearly kill Akoni. Destin discovers that the Dark God is the source of the armor's power and that he doesn't have the strength to control it. Akoni, soundly defeated and suffering terrible wounds, realizes that he doesn't have the strength to fulfill his charge. Act 2 Destin is now in the grasp of the Dark God. The armor responds to his will, provided he does the Dark God's bidding. It also comes with another price, the blood of his victims. If he fails to supply the blood it craves, it will slake its thirst on him and find a more willing master. Meanwhile, Akoni is disillusioned by his defeat and begins a personal quest to become powerful enough to defeat his brother. Since the powers granted by his god failed him, he begins to seek out new, darker powers. None of them deliver as promised. Destin, in the meantime, experiences a breakthrough when a paladin he doesn't know finds him and tries to stop him. When he kills the paladin, the blood strengthens him but weakens the compulsion of the dark god. He realizes that the power of his former order is the key to his freedom and the means to control the power that has been controlling him. He will be able to defeat the Dark God if he can acquire the Talisman of Light, the most sacred artifact of the Paladin Order. Akoni, still lacking the means to stop his brother, asks his father for the right to wield the Talisman of Light and lead their order into battle against Destin and his god. His father... Seeing the dark path his younger son is on, refuses. Desperate, Akoni sneaks into their holy place that night and steals it. That same night, Destin sneaks in for the same reason. He reaches the holy place, only to discover that the talisman has been taken. 
His father finds him there and thinks that he took it. He tries to subdue Destin and take it back, but the armor takes control and kills his father. The power of his blood breaks the Dark God's control, and Destin, horrified by what he's done, flees. Akoni is told the next morning what his brother has done. No one knows where the talisman is, but they suspect Destin took it. Akoni tells them that he managed to get it before his brother did. He asks their permission to wield it and lead them into battle against his brother. They agree. Act 3. Destin flees into the wilderness, pursued by the full might of the Paladin Order. He has control of the armor, but its power is waning, as he no longer has the heart to feed it more victims. He only has one option left. Take it back to the place where he found it, to the forge in the Temple of the Dark God. There he will try to destroy it. Akoni is losing strength as well, but in numbers rather than power. The other paladins, one by one, are leaving him. Still, he continues his pursuit, knowing where his brother is running to. Finally, the last paladins following him, his closest friends, confront him. They tell him that he has lost himself in his quest for revenge, and that he needs to turn back before he destroys himself. He refuses, and they respond by casting him out of the order. When they ask him to return the talisman, he refuses and prepares to fight them for it. Rather than fight him, though, his friends walk away, leaving him to his fate. He continues his pursuit alone, finally catching up to his brother in the Forge of the Dark God. And the story ends like it began. A disgraced ex-paladin acquires a powerful suit of cursed armor to aid him in his fight against the Dark God and his servants. He does this by killing the previous owner. Dude, holy crap. That is epic. Epic. Awesome. Well done, sir. Excellent pitch. Before we move forward on this, what uh, what, what are you hoping to, to get from the next 45 minutes or so of, of brainstorming? I am hoping for a lot of gap fills for the most part. Uh, names are negotiable. All plot points are negotiable. I really would like to see keep the uh, central conceit of the story ending where it began. In fact, um, what I want to do is have the first chapter and the last chapter be almost word for word identical. Just to, yeah, just to drive home the point that uh, sure. the one ends where the other begins. Yeah, I like um, that. I like that. Okay, I, I definitely think we can help you out with that. I'm sure with this with this august assemblage, uh, uh, there will be much, much frothy goodness to go into it. But before we do, uh, uh, we need to give you our, our, our patented roundtable podcast disclaimer. And actually, since it's being delivered by a lawyer now, uh, uh, this is doubly binding to all parties concerned. Katerina, would you be so kind, please? Absolutely, absolutely. And I just modified it a little bit. <laughs> Here we go. Look, by taking part in this workshop, you hereby agree that everything said henceforth are the opinions of the speakers alone. It is in your discretion and your right to use the ideas brought forth in this workshop for your book. However, Dave Justin and myself shall not be liable in any way towards you in the event of the advice given herein is partially or in its entirety bullshit. Okay? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> I feel I'm so ready. I feel so official. <laughs> and I, I also feel as though a great burden has been lifted. Awesome. We're off the hook, gang. Uh now so, that burden's on my shoulders. That's right. That's right. You you have to decide. You separate the wheat from the chafe, the, the fertilizer from the bullshit. Here we go. 
Uh, generally, we start off with a quick once around the table to give first impressions uh, uh, and also to ask some questions of clarification if there were things that didn't quite make as much sense. So, uh, And customarily, we, we yield the first privilege of that to our guest host. So, Justin, uh, uh, what are your first impressions of Luke's story pitch? Uh, uh, and do you have any questions of clarification? Uh, I have a first impression and a question of clarification. So first I'll say uh, the, the great news is hearing the pitch, there are a thousand things that started firing in my brain, <laughs> which I think is a, g- a good sign. The one thing I will say that your commitment to keeping the central conceit the same as you have it today, I actually really like the central conceit. My only concern as we move forward through this conversation is that I think central conceits like that, that require the ending and the beginning to be so similar, are very hard to do in a novel because it is not terribly satisfying to the reader who is going to go on a long journey to have this fairly heavy-handed point be made. In a short story or a novelette or a novella, I think that works a lot better uh, because the reader doesn't have as much investment in having a resolution, right? Because in this, at a novel length, there is no resolution. The resolution is things are – this is a this is an inescapable fact of life that this that this endless circle is going to continue so i think that's something to think about I'm not saying it can't be pulled off i think it's just a challenge at, at a novel length that's a good point mm-hmm. the, the the question of clarification is you and i think it's important to the internal conflict of some of your characters which is and it's a story question it's uh what are the sacred precepts that um destin violated that got him cast out of the order have you figured that out yet no, I have not figured that out, so I'll throw that on the table as something for you all to chew on. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. Some ideas. But I'll save those. Okay. Awesome. Anything else for the first round, Justin? No, go on. All right. Katarina, you, ma'am, uh, uh, first impressions of, of Luke's story, pitch, and any questions you might have? Well, I actually also wrote down, is this going to leave me unsatisfied? Uh, <laughs> so my, it, it actually ties in with, with my first um, question. Is there going to be, is it going to be a series uh, or is it just going to be a standalone book? At this point, it's a standalone book. Good man. Yeah, oh, okay. Good man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But but then I'm 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 totally there with 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 Justin saying that if I'm on a you know first time I I thought I was like oh that's a good idea and then I was like if I end up at the same point with no involvement at the end it it might leave me very okay why did I read this book for so that was my first gut feeling there was a couple of things in in the story that needed clarification but what I was wondering is at the beginning of the book, is Destin already um, on the outs? Is he already disgraced, or is the thing that happens at the beginning when he gets the suit of armor the thing that disgraces him? Oh, he's already disgraced. Okay, I think there's some things in the in the story that didn't make um, a lot of a lot of sense to me, but I think we're going to go into that in detail. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Um, I, I will jump in, Luke, and saying, uh, uh, you know, I, I will affirm Katerina just pointed out. I, I, the conceit is so cool, and you you heard me after you finished. It's like, oh my god, that's awesome. Uh, but the the point is well taken, especially with a novel length work. I'm not going to remember the first paragraph. 
and and so uh, although I will also argue that you know if the, the notion of coming full circle if that becomes a thematic element if that's something that's reinforced uh, uh, periodically in the story uh, and something that Akoni uh, uh, resists vehemently uh, uh, then it could actually work very well because it's the, the notion of things coming around and coming around again has been established in the in the reader's awareness and Akoni rejects it and then unfortunately no one rejects fate this is how it goes down so that's there are ways to work with it, but I think it's a caution well made I'm, I'm curious um what do you have a cultural feel for this cult for these people Akoni and Destin these these are unusual names they don't have a strong cultural resonance do you have any kind of uh, cultural world building going on here uh no particular culture yet um i just picked the names as placeholders i just looked at uh uh, baby names website, uh, selected Latin names, <laughs> and I just picked some meanings that I thought went with the characters. Okay. Latin culture. Latin culture. Latin there, culture. There you go. But isn't Akoni a Hawaiian name? Uh, no, it's actually a Latin term meaning. I just meaning. Googled it before we came into the show. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's apparently the Hawaiian version of Anthony. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. maybe. Already you're acquiring valuable advice here at the round table. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it also in Latin means worthy of admiration or praise. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, I, I think whatever thematic elements get teased out during the workshop, I think that it could probably serve you to reinforce those by selecting a, a, a cultural framework for this that could actually enhance whatever that thematic element is uh, uh the end justifying the means not or end not justifying the means uh, uh is a strong one and i think that that has legs and you bear that out in your story uh, uh but but there's there's going to be other woven threads i think that are going to be teased out as we go forward so um and the other question i had was uh we talk about the god of light and the god of dark uh, uh and and my first response to that was that's a little generic uh, uh, the the god of light and the god of dark. Yes, we this, we've heard this a thousand times before. Um, is is was your intent to kind of push all of that into the background and and bring the characters forward, or or did you want to like delve in and, and make that something a bit more robust, something with a bit more uh, uh, story hook uh, uh, and and reinforcement of of the of the concepts. Yeah, I was planning on it being a background thing, and, well, I chose light and dark because those were the easiest things to come to mind and the sort of well-worn tropes that I am least hesitant to abandon, if need be. <laughs> well, I, I ask this because, you know, while we don't hear much from the God of Light except through his servants, uh, through Destin's POV, and I'm assuming we're looking at two POVs here, Destin's and Akoni's, right? Yes. Okay. From Destin's POV, he's going to get very intimate in in the most unpleasant way uh, with the the dark god as he communes with this armor. Uh, so knowing the dark god's mythology and understanding his motivations, other than I must kill all the good things, uh, uh, that that 
leaves me a little flat and maybe we can discuss that as we as we delve forward with the with the brainstorming but that was those were my first uh things that that jumped out at me uh as questions that i wanted so let's let, let's roll into this let's let's dive into the discussion uh uh justin you you had an idea for what what's precept perhaps uh, uh destin violated that that got him disgraced and cast out shall we start there oh i'm ready dave <laughs> <laughs> And I hate to do this because it's going to turn a lot of what you've already thought through on its head a little bit. After reading right. your summary, I don't think Oconee is the protagonist. I think Destin is the protagonist. <laughs> See, and I yeah. just wanted oh. to say that I don't think Destin is the antagonist the armor is. <laughs> so, so let me, let me just frame this a little bit. Destin has all of the internal conflicts. Oconee is, um, is idealistic, is convinced about his path. You, you say he's naive, but, but that's a pretty small uh, thing to deal with. He, he, he's, he's convinced that he's right, right? Destin yeah. has internal conflicts. Destin knows that he's not totally right. Like he's searching, right? He's questioning. He's saying there's a better way. And he's looking for that better way. And, and he comes across this cursed armor that he thinks is the answer and, and isn't the answer. Um, and he's resisting it. And, and that is so much more proactive than a Coney, in my opinion, which makes Destin the actual, uh, character who's moving the narrative forward. And, and so I think, and I'll, and I'll mention this is that you, you, you say, you didn't mention in the, in the, the, the pitch that you had written, uh, and sent over to us beforehand that this was a young adult novel. And so when you said it was a young adult novel, I became even more convinced that it was Destin's story, not a Coney's. And that's because young adult, adult novels deal with questioning. They deal with our place in the world. And the character in this story that's questioning his place in the world is Destin. And I think you need to, I, if I were you, I would, I would consider him as the protagonist. And there are ways that you could minimize what he's done to not make him seem so bad. I mean, you know, he could, he could resist killing somebody or, or, or not, depending on the tone you wanted the story to take. But, um, that's, that's one thing that I think we need to consider. The other thing is, You've given me an entire story pitch that includes no women. And that's a choice, an interesting choice, an incredibly interesting choice for a young adult novel, uh, where we recognize that, that women make up a humongous percentage of the readership. So I would consider that. And when we start talking about sacred precepts that got Destin kicked out of the order, what if Destin was never allowed into the order because Destin was a woman? And Destin wanted to pursue the life of a paladin, but was not allowed to because of his gender, her gender and thus chose a different path and that the, and and that is the conflict within the order I, it, it, big change idea wise but i think as a young adult novel you would be opening yourself up to a lot more things that are really saleable and interesting in the young adult field luke what do you think now, that is certainly worth considering i mean yeah as i said before just about anything is a worthy of change and you know i had actually been thinking about the labels of protagonist and antagonist thinking that you know destin's turning into a, a lot of a protagonist i was just too lazy to read and the county really <laughs> he's he's got the background of a supervillain. you know he he believes he's doing the right thing and i'm going to do all the wrong things for it i mean i i think that's an inspired observation uh and i agree destin's arc is much more intriguing he's fighting He's fighting against something, whereas Akoni is is stealing things and and 
doing whatever he thinks is right uh, uh, and, to, and to hell with everyone else and, and is walking a very dark path. For the and, greater good. Yes, for the well, greater good, as all supervillains should. Well, and the alternative is uh, then the villain, the villain, quote unquote villain, becomes the god of light, which is an interesting subversion where Akoni's true belief in the right path to the reader's perspective, excludes women, excludes 50% of the population. It's single-minded in its determination. And and nothing that resonates more with a young adult reader than fighting the power. Right? Yeah, fighting, fight the fighting man. The, exactly. And so I think when you look at what res- resonates in a young adult audience, I think something to think about. And, and that would also hmm. make a lot of the things I would have uh, asked or that felt like, let's say, gaps to me later on. The first thing that I asked myself was, well, if Destin is trying to take down the God of Dark, then why would everyone be against him, even though he's trying a couple of extremes? So the, the first reaction of sending Akoni to stop Destin just because he got this suit of armor felt just a bit extreme, even though because his intentions were good. So if he wouldn't be allowed or she wouldn't be allowed to do that, then that would explain it at least a little bit better. I could see that. So I'm, I'm struggling a bit with the with the motivations here. Well, and and you know, as as Justin pointed out, having having Destin defy the established order, and and want to prove herself that she can she can fight for the for the cause of good and and uh, defend her people uh, against the dark the the dark forces. Uh, that that that's noble. That's that's I I can do this just as good as everyone else. My question is. Why fight against the dark god? Uh, is it just because he's the dark god and and he's just dark, and so we got to fight him? Or is there something going on that has sparked this this conflict? I just fighting dark for the because you're light and and vice versa is that that's very thin for me. And I was, I'm, I'm thinking maybe having something going on, something happening. Uh, I will not invoke prophecy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, maybe, maybe a cycle. Uh, maybe, maybe the world goes through cycles, and as long as we're we're working the cycle thing, uh, uh, maybe there are cycles in play where each god in the pantheons become ascendant. Uh, uh, and and these are these are known times. We know that you know when the when the when the the sun hits this point against this peak uh, uh, that we have reached the age of of such and such, and we know things are going to happen. And the choices people make in the face of that certainty uh, uh, is is a very defining thing for everyone. So maybe something like that's going on. I don't know. Yeah, I okay. I would tend to agree, Dave. That I think. Uh, one of the things I wrote down on initial flush was light God slash dark God is too stark for modern fantasy. And now I will say, though, that, again, reframing it as a young adult story changes that a little bit. When I thought this was an adult novel, I said, you can't have light and dark it's like that. It's just you can't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, but in a young adult novel, you can a little bit. Right. Because it's still it's newer readers, not as familiar with with the tropes of the genre. So you can get away with a few of these things. And so light and dark isn't entirely inherently the problem. I think the problem is that they they their conflicts aren't well developed and it's too and maybe getting away from light and dark would help you develop those conflicts right so if they were just like the god Ra and the god Horus and and they just had names and they were in conflict and it's not strictly good or evil 
but they're in conflict with one another, and then the, and then their their orders are in conflict with each other. Maybe that would help develop the conflict. Whether you go back to light or dark eventually is fine, but I think there needs to be a conflict inherent other than good and evil that's going on. It's not just good and evil. Yeah, because uh, evil. It's so hard, these things are so hard to define, and I think one of the things that's really been reinforced in modern fantasy is that is that good and evil are artificial constructs created by storytellers because it's easy. And I don't think any writer, any, any writer wants to do something just because it was the easy solution, right? So like thinking about the conflicts that are inherent with these two groups, uh, regardless, because the evil people think they're good, right? And the good, the good people think they're good. So you have to, no, nobody's evil just to be evil. Right. Yeah. And, and as soon as you develop a bit more of the motivations, but then you end up in a gray zone of, well, maybe that's not an antagonist. Maybe we're more in a Snape kind of situation here. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. And Very. I will say the, 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 and that, you know, I get back to these questions. The thing that I talked about in our 20 minutes of like the question, right? What's the question? Um, I will say one of the questions that occurred to me was, I think that, that really interesting question of, of if you don't gender flip Destin, the question can become, why is Destin not in the order? And maybe it's some deep, dark secret that nobody talks about and nobody wants to talk about. But over the course of the story, it's slowly revealed what that secret is. And that's the thing that really keeps me moving forward. Or, or why? And if you do tend to flip him, what would then be the question? Good question. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. <laughs> that's, that's Luke's job. That would, that would, uh, you know, the question, the question could be, you know, will she prove herself? Uh, uh, d- d- will she prove herself to be worthy of being in the order? Uh, can she, can she redeem herself from this stain that she's latched onto? Will she overthrow the system so that women can be yeah, yeah. a paladin? Even if you took it from an internal consistency question and said, maybe the question is, um, why? Why aren't women allowed in the order? What happened within the order that, that, that got rid of women? Because the whole story, this, this Destin is questioning, why can't I be in? Why? Yeah. Why? Why? And yeah. no one will tell her because it's some deep, dark secret. And maybe it's because, you know... The god of the the god of light is really dead because his wife killed him. Like I, I don't know. Um, but, but, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean that that could be you know it could do, do the whole Adam and Eve thing. You know the the their 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 vessels. You know if if you want to just push that as far f- to the extreme as possible. You know. The, well, maybe the god of dark is a woman, and that's why we can't oh. have women because the god of dark is a woman, and you know women. Dude. I mean, and, he, and it's the god of white, uh, light's ex-wife or what? Sure, or or better, better brother and sister. Yeah, I think if you either go for brother and sister or a breakup scenario that both could, from a young adult writing point of view, can, yeah. can start very interesting conflicts and very interesting paths you can take the, the young reader on that they can follow. But with, if it's conflict in a relationship or with the sibling. But with brother and sister, then you get this nice echo between Akoni and Destin. And 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 they can actually become the embodiments of this larger macro conflict that's going on. Okay, and if you wanted to keep the same conceit, which which you, again you've talked about, maybe the conceit is the same, except in the end they inhabit the suit of armor together and Ooh. become a unified entity that merges the two deities. Nice. Ooh, maybe, maybe, and again, if we, if we go with the, the whole cyclical cycle thing, maybe, maybe the story picks up at the end of, of the dark goddesses, uh, uh, cycle and, and she's, her powers are waning and we're coming to the ascendancy of a different God. And her plan is to break the cycle. 
to 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 end this cycle of ascension and descension. You know, she's not necessarily necessarily maybe a goddess of evil, but a goddess of disorder, uh, a, a goddess of of deconstruction. Uh, you know, like a Kali uh, uh, character. See, and now suddenly there's a cultural reference that you can actually kind of tie in that could be very interesting uh, uh, if, if you work with that that Hindu mythology of of uh, the, those gods and those deities. And and her goal is to break it. And in the end, you know, it, if if this is a tragedy, then uh, it, it it isn't. And if it's if it's not, then Akoni and Destin can actually reconcile. And and as as Justin said, you know, inhabit that armor together to the betterment of the world. That sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> that's why. That's because I was wondering. Was you talking? If you go with the two deities. Having been a couple, then you can at least come up with a character that is their child, that then could inhabit the the armor without anything getting really, really creepy I, <laughs> or incestuous. They, they could be twins, right? You, know, you talk about through the whole novel that they are two sides of the same whole, you know, two halves of the same whole, and that and that really they're they're they really they are one person. I just read this interesting uh, photo essay about these two women in France who are twins. They live together. They, they they refer to themselves together as I. And so you start to think about, you know, maybe they are twins. Maybe they really are one person that were split somehow. I mean, it doesn't have to be creepy. It could be creepy, but it has to be. <laughs> and, and there's a long history in, in mythology of brothers and sisters, you know, bearing children. I mean, that's 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 not off the table. It might be, as you say, a little creepy for a young adult novel, but it's it there. There's a historical. George R. R. Martin isn't writing this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just saying, if you want to go young adult, then something to keep in to mind. Take... Definitely, oh, okay, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm also kind of now that we're talking about the the the, the pantheon and and. Here, here's my question. I put this to the group. Uh, my my desire as as a fantasy reader is to learn more about the world. Uh, and as it stands now, we're aware of other gods, but there's just the light in the dark. And I'm wondering if we could enrich the story and the issues that Akoni and Destin or Desta or whatever her his name ends up being uh, by introducing... You know, a, a not the not a pantheon of a hundred gods, uh, uh, but a few more influences in here to I don't know spice it a little bit and create a supporting cast and a supporting framework for a Coney and Destin story. W- what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's definitely worth looking into. I think this feeds into this question a little bit. And, and have, you, have you thought about how this going to be third person or first person? Third. Third. Third person allows you, I think, to expand more in this world, world building stuff. You know, if it's, if it's first person, you end up, you end up having to, to stick so tight that, uh, that you can lose some of it. But a third person, you can't. And I think in that regard, a, an establishing shot, I mean, you get into the action pretty quick, it seems like, in the, in the story pitch. Mm-hmm. And I think what Dave's talking about is, is ground us in the world a little bit first. And I mean, we can, we can try to brainstorm the world real quick. That's not nah. my strongest suit, but. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I think I think the as with all good world building, a strong story will will invoke world elements that reinforce the the, the thematic elements of the story and and the characters. So I no, I don't think we need to we need to riff off on world building as much as I do love it. Uh, uh, I don't I don't think that would serve us uh, so much at this point. 
I will say the cursed armor and the talisman of light are like these two relics that you've got. Um, mm. Relics are interesting. I love relics. Um, relics full of history and legend, and uh, yeah, those are great uh, hooks, especially for for people new to the genre. They get really because they, they're very uh, wish fulfilling, right? Like, oh, if only I had a suit of cursed armor, I could whip that bully's ass. <laughs> uh, I think, and I, so I think playing to those is, is, is a good idea. And I think if you look at those relics and really start to just think about the relic and the story behind the relic, you may find yourself with a lot of oh, world building. Dude, dude, what if the suit of armor is actually the body of the god that the light and the dark were before they were split? What if it's the vessel of their original form and anybody that embodies that is required to take up the struggle that split them in the first place? This this could be a story about unification. Okay. And that would help a bit with the whole struggle going back and forth on the one hand, one demanding the blood of the paladins and maybe on the other side, there's the struggle that wants their powers that is searching for light and needs light as the the talisman of light you talked about, that the other side needs the talisman of light to get Ooh. the power, get the upper hand in this whole struggle. Yeah, maybe maybe the talisman of light was the thing that separated them in the first place. Maybe maybe that was the you know that was the relic where where humanity reached too high uh, and strove to to clasp the power of the gods and in doing so shattered the the, the gods apart. Uh, uh, and, and so you've got this embodiment and I love, I love the idea of that armor because that kind of embodies Destin's journey as well. She's struggling with, I I want to be a paladin. I want to do, I want to be a part. I want to be a part of a, of something larger than myself. And that is a very strong, uh, I I think, uh, uh, YA concept, not a subtle one, because we're, we're, we're trying to decide who we are at this point. We're defining what we are, and we tend to define it by rebelling against the things that we aren't. Uh, uh, but ultimately, that, that quest is, is for acceptance and, and integration, I think, into a larger whole. And Destin wants that desperately. It's just the wrong structure. And and the revelation of the armor and what it could embody if maybe the the talisman of light is destroyed, the thing that is actually causing all of this hardship, if that's destroyed, and that could be the revelation that Iconi and Destin come to that bonds binds them ultimately, uh, uh, then then that's also a metaphor for that uh, 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 fact that the world is not what necessarily what you see it, uh, that there is a larger truth and you don't need to. F- fit into every I'm, I'm rambling at this point but holy crap somebody else say something that was that was just fun <laughs> one thing to consider even if you even if everything we've set up till now is bullshit which as we set up front could be the one the Oconi needs an internal conflict um even if he's the antagonist or the protagonist it doesn't matter he needs an internal conflict and so i would suggest that he has something within the order that doesn't work for him whether he likes sex too much or whether he pushes back against the fact that his sister isn't allowed in or something. He has to have some doubt, some something that, that, that makes him feel like the order isn't the best fit for him. Even if outwardly he's the ideologue, you know, and, and, and is the, uh, you know, a stern bright blade from the Dragonlance. It's <laughs> a fairly go. good example. I don't know if you've read that, Luke, but nope. uh, Sturm is this knight of Salumnia. He's like the, the perfect knight, right? 
But as he grows in the story, he realizes that the knighthood is not all that he was told, that there are some dark secrets and and dirty under things. And uh, Coney would be aware of perhaps those because his dad's the boss. And so it's okay for him to be outwardly ideologue. But if he's only an ideologue, if he never doubts that there's nothing about him that is um, that is a a bad fit, he's just not interesting. Yeah. What I was wondering as well, um, were you in any way influenced by the Elric stories by Michael Moorcock? Hmm. Because that was the background felt a bit the same with the sword, but then for him it became more of an addiction. Um, so it went into the yeah, the sword is this thing that makes you do all the bad stuff, but you're kind of addicted to it. So there is not only the the two gods that's struggling, but also you know the part where he kills his father. That maybe that the struggle of the gods just enforces things that were in him that maybe she was trying to break out and maybe she blamed her father for not standing up for her because of his, the father is the head of their order. So if he had said, okay, we'll start accepting girls now, for example, so maybe she blames him deep, deep inside, obviously not enough to kill him, but maybe that was just enforced by this thing. So, so what I was wondering was, under all these things, this armor makes for him do that there's always like the slightest grain of motivation of, of herself in that. Okay. That is a good idea. Yeah. The armor could use what is repressed. Yes. Per se, and then nice. feed on it. Yes. Give power to it and then enforce it. Right. Which means the armor is not inherently evil. It just uses what you uh, bring to it, what you bring to it. It's yeah, nice. two gods are more like the, the, the angel and the devil on the shoulders, one dragging you in one direction, one dragging you in the other. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I actually got a, got kind of a interview with a vampire vibe when, when the blood was evoked, uh, uh, and, and that, that rush, uh, and, and the need for that, uh, Certainly not in the same sense as a vampire per se, but I think one of the one of the compelling things about that, you know, blood is just a metaphor at that point, uh, and it can be here as well. Uh, but uh, that 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 same thirst, that hunger, uh, and Katarina, as you observe, is going to be that 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 thirst for equality, that thirst for acceptance, uh, and acknowledgement of of gifts. Uh, and and the blood allows her to do that. The blood allows her to fight that. Um, because on one hand, you've got this do-goody golden boy who is trying to be the perfect son, the perfect paladin, even if it destroys him inside at the end. Yeah. And on the other hand, you've got this person who might just on paper be the better paladin out of just inherently, but who's doesn't fit the mold, who struggles with herself, who has to fight for everything that her brother was given. And right. he's just relaxing, be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the son. I'm awesome. <laughs> well, and I think that's the cool parallel that, that Luke has set up here is that you have, uh, as, as we've explored it, we have Destin, Desta, who is, who is a good paladin. She really could be if she was allowed to do so. Uh, and even if you keep him, keep a, a male character and make a choice that is against the order, but for the right reasons, uh, and for the ultimate good thereof, uh, you have the same arc. They're good, but they're not allowed to be. And then you've got the other side of the coin. I'm not, but I am. You know, Justin, you evoked, uh, uh, 
Ayn Rand, uh, uh, and talk about the fountainhead, uh, where you've got somebody who's really good at what they do, but nobody lets them do it. You've got somebody who sucks at it, but because he plays the game, does the right thing, he gets all the accolades, blah, blah, blah. And it's that, that's a wonderful conflict. And alternatively, we've talked a lot about gender flipping. You, there, could, there are a thousand conflicts you could use and not gender flip if you're not comfortable with that. I mean, I do think you need to gender flip somebody just, just yes. because in this environment uh, where we are today, we need to do better with how we represent people in fiction. So you need to have some central character, at least that, that is, that is not just a, a default male, but you know, De- Destin could be gay and that's why he's, he's not allowed to be part of the order or, you know, he could be, could be uh, a, a bastard, whatever it is, whatever, an ex- a way that they are excluded. And that, that sense of exclusion is what's so, you look at every major successful young adult franchise, and it is built on the protagonist being excluded for some reason. Um, you know, uh, the Hunger Games, right? They're excluded because they're, they're, they're just those dirty coal miners, you know? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Harry Potter, uh, Harry's Muggish. not... The, yeah, the muggles are excluded. Like, really, Hermione's really the, the hero of the story, right? And so <laughs> yeah. she, she's excluded because of her parents and, and she's not wanted. And Ron, because he's poor and, and, um, and, and Harry, because he was raised outside of the world, you know, he's, he's new to it. So all these great young adult franchises have that sense of exclusion. And so, um, the, the more that you can target that sense, regardless of how you accomplish it, I think is, is huge. And a couple of, we brought up a couple of other works that I, and I think I didn't want to do this because I think it's dangerous to, to start just pointing it. Oh, this is kind of like this or this is kind of like this because it's not really fair to you, right? Like you haven't read these things, so it's not really fair to you. But there is a story by John Marco. Um, I don't know if you, you've read it. I'm going to guess you haven't. Uh, the second book is called The Devil's Armor, which I'm, I'm sure you can now imagine that <laughs> the, the conceit is, is fairly similar, right? Which is like, there's a suit of armor that makes a good person do bad things. And he thinks he's doing right. It's, 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 it's similar. It's an adult novel. Um, I yeah, don't even think there's nothing should, new under the sun. That's exactly. Right. I don't even think you should, should read it per se. I mean, maybe when you finish this, you read it just to see what, um, you know, to be aware of, of what, what else is out there. Because this is, you always feel bad for like, uh, the writers, like, Mark Lawrence, who's like, this is just like Joe Abercrombie. And Mark's like, I didn't even know who Joe Abercrombie was. <laughs> you know, I, somebody should have told Mark, read Joe Abercrombie before you publish this, at least so you know. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's something you said in the 20 minutes with, that you should read what's out there to avoid sounding too much yeah. like someone else and to read to see what works for them. It might or might not work for you. Yeah, maybe. The cursed armor trope is not, it's not enough of a trope that like, there's a, it's it's been done a hundred times, you know. It's been right. done a few times, so I don't know that you need to. You certainly don't need to avoid it. It's just another novel out there that I, as soon as I read your pitch, I was like, oh, uh, John Marco book I read fifteen years ago, you know. Um, well, and and Justin, you invoked the the concept of the relic, and and I couldn't agree more. The 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 concept is is fascinating, an ancient thing of power, uh, and and the the presence of the relic, whether it's the One Ring or the Devil's Armor or Thor's hammer or whatever, or uh, the mask, or the mask. Yes. Oh God, yes. Um, those those embody uh, uh, powers that are germane and. And, and relevant to the story being told. You know, only the worthy can lift Thor's hammer, so you're going to have issues of worthiness in stories about Thor. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the temptation of the ring, of power. You know, everybody wants power, and power can be yours if you take this ring. So, so the, the temptation of those unnatural powers 
the powers embodied by those need to be relevant and lashed inextricably to the theme of the story. And I think we've kind of done that uh, uh, and, and certainly not exhaustively. And, and Luke, I think there's room to explore even more, but, but definitely, you know, I don't think there's anything lost in, in reading the devil's armor or anything along those lines, as long as you're, you're aware of the effect that that could have in terms of using that trope of the relic in the context of your story. Okay. Who was the author of that again? John Marco. It's the second book in a series. First one's like The Eyes of God, The Devil's Armor, and then a third one whose name escapes me at the moment. They're very dated. Um, so, you know, just... <laughs> With a grain of salt. Yeah, I'm not recommending them, per se. Um, f- from a structure perspective, too, there's one other thing that, that stood out to me that I wanted to bring up before we before we Dave takes us into the wild blue yonder. Um, you have Destin beginning to question the armor before the father is killed. I think that's a mistake. Um, I think the father being killed is the point at which Destin needs to realize something has gone wrong. Um, if, because that, I mean, that is the moment the story turns, right? That's the moment that Destin says, oh shit. A says, uh, oh, this is for real. You know, oh, <laughs> right, right. No, you didn't, you know, that's, that's the, <laughs> no, you didn't moment. I mean, to me, that's, that's the moment where the climax begins right like that's where it begins where you begin to close out act two and act three begins and if 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 destin's questioning too early and and already knows that that he's going he or she is going down this this path it robs some of that emotional impact of when the father is killed um and actually you could you could not make it be the dark goddesses or god's armor and, and reveal it at that moment Right. This could just be a, a tool of, you know, maybe it's a mystery. Nobody knows. Or maybe it's ascribed to one of the other gods in the pantheon. And and it actually helps. I mean, you know, maybe maybe uh, uh, Destin is, is being led by the armor to actually apparently do good work. You know, kill this, kill this general of the dark gods, who the dark god wanted killed anyway because he was getting ready to betray him. Uh, uh, and, and lure Destin down that path of power. And then yes, Justin, just as you said, you know, at that moment when I'm going to kill my father, no, I'm not. And then the dark God exerts her hand and says, yes, you will. Shabam! And oh crap. And now everybody's life is turned upside down. That would also give it another question. Because if he's got the armor and he thinks it's a mystical armor, he thinks that could help her overtake or do whatever she wants to do. And then you've got these hints that it's just not right. And the question is, what is this armor really? Yeah. What yeah. does it do? And that's the question then. And maybe, maybe Akoni wants, goes after her for the armor just because it's not bad armor. It's good armor. It could be a, a useful tool in the fight against the dark one. Awesome. And the fact that his sister has claimed it is, is a slap in the face. And it's like, take that off right now. You're not worthy to wear that. And there's your first conflict right there. I love that. Well, and you got and this weapon that can be used for good or evil, but there's more to it. And that more to it only reveals itself in the course of the story. Exactly. Well, and if, oh, okay. if Destin is the protagonist, let's say. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Destin doesn't actually kill his father. Maybe, you know, maybe he pulls, he pulls his hand at the last minute and, and is able to hold off the influence. But then Akoni comes in and says, if my father's Ooh. not dead, I can't get the talisman. Oh, and dude. so Akoni 
to do right, to do what needs to be done, uh, kills his father and, and, and takes the talisman and goes on the, you know, the final quest. I mean, it, it's all a matter of, of how you choose, you know, the perspective from which you're telling the story. Um, you can make this, uh, I mean, that, that, that or, whole, or, that whole scene is, is central. Oh, yeah. Or Akoni says something that, that makes Destin question themselves. Uh, uh, and that, that lack of, conviction is all that's needed for the final blow that's another perspective on that but yeah i agree that's that's a good point justin that is a pivotal moment and the more the more tnt c4 and nitroglycerin you can pack around that probably the better yeah mind if i just uh like run a thought by you guys please please okay yeah just in regards to the armor it could be that um the source of the power behind it is apparent from the beginning i'm thinking what the big reveal could be is where the impetus for that power comes from if it's at that moment when his or her father is killed by it that like she massively rebels against the voice in the armor like how could you do this and then it's revealed that i didn't want to do this it was you that wanted to do it that's good that's got legs. Yeah, it does. That's got legs. And arms. And, <laughs> and tentacles and, <laughs> and, big, and big teeth. Yeah. Awesome. Dragon. Well, guys, I'm looking at the clock winding down. So so let's 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 take us into the final stage here. Um, let's take one last turn around the table uh, uh, and give Luke some some last minute thoughts, ideas that you didn't get a chance to put out there. Fill, fill his pockets with literary gold so he can go off and write this awesome tale. Justin, we'll lead off with you, sir. What uh, final thoughts for Master Luke? I don't know if I left anything on the table, man. I think I managed to get it all out there. But um <laughs> But I think the the one takeaway I would offer is just refine your internal conflicts within your characters. If they have good, solid internal conflicts, regardless of how you choose to tell your story, uh, you know, gender or structure, whatever, if they have good internal conflicts, it'll work. I think the reason all of us have latched onto Destin as, as the protagonist during this discussion is because Destin has better internal conflicts than a Coney. If you can find a way to fix that, you can still tell the story you want to tell that you wanted to tell in the beginning. Um, and I think we've even gotten to the point where, although the, I think the initial internal, the initial conceit of ending as it beginning wouldn't work with a novel, I think we've given you enough suggestions that you, that it could work if, if you, uh, if you think through that, uh, as long as the resolution at the end is, is satisfying and not just like, oh shit, we're right back where we started. I think, <laughs> I think you can make it work. Nice. I have, I have, I have high hopes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Katerina, what about you? For me, is really the remember who is motivated by what at which point in the story, because that can change, and it felt a bit in the first pitch. The, the motivations didn't fit the point in the story that we're in, so that, that, that needs to be clear. And also the same thing about the end. Um, if there's just a bit of an involvement, you can have it the same. You can be back to the beginning with just, a slight change that maybe because as a woman is different, maybe because something else, but just a little difference that makes you want to, ooh, this, this, maybe it could work. And after the next round, it will be better, more like a Hinduistic rebirth kind of mm-hmm. involvement, a step up through every rebirth cycle to this end where you get out of this loop. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I like that. Ever. That's beautiful. And, and Luke, I will say, 
you know, dude, this is this is the the, the beauty and the danger of brainstorming, because uh, uh, you came in here with a very strong story, uh, uh, and and obviously the discussion that it engendered uh, is is testament to that. I think, um, and we've gone down some very different roads and explored some 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 turning some things on the on the on its head. I I would argue that your original conceit and your original story could actually work as a novella, and and you could you know. Keep keep things as they are. Uh, you don't have as much time in a novella to to indulge in as much world building. So so the 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 non specificity of the god of light and the god of dark uh, is not as big a deal because the showcase really is between the two primary characters. Um, and obviously, there is now a market for <clears throat> novellas. I'm just putting that out there. Uh, and the, and that conceit of starting as it ended could actually uh, work very effectively. So that's my first thought. Uh, uh, my other thought is that, dude, I really like the stuff that's come up uh, uh, in these discussions. I really like the idea of making gender flipping Destin. Uh, I think that I think that adds depth and and richness to the the relationship uh, and nuance to the relationship uh, between these two primal characters that are combating each other. Uh, uh, Destin is a more interesting character as presented. Uh, uh, but that doesn't have to be. Uh, uh, Coney can can become a, a, a good bad guy, uh, and and possibly even be redeemed at the end. Uh, uh, I, I hate leaving an open ended possibility here, but that you have a lot of them now, uh, and I think every single one of them is this this live wire three hundred volt cable. Uh, however you plug it in, it's going to supercharge what you've got going. So just just make it happen, dude. So. Luke, first and foremost, thank you so much. This this has been epic, and I am so grateful for you stepping up and and offering the story, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, glad I could. Sorry <laughs> if you hear some crying in the background. My wife and kids just got home. No, I think that's cheering. That was cheering, cheering for daddy. Huzzah! So and and the the rule is, Luke. Uh, uh, here's here's how it all goes down. You write this story, and dude, please do. Uh, please do write this and put it out there in the world, however it happens, whether you go through tour imprints for a novella or or you 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 trad pub it, you self-pub it, indie pub, small pub, doesn't matter. Uh, but get this out there in the world so it's infecting people's minds. And when you do, we will totally have you back. And, and we will not knight you as a knight of the round table. We will anoint you. As the god of the, as as a priest of the muse of the round table, that's that's what's on the table, dude. You down with that? I'm down with that. I think that we can knight you. You know, if you prefer knighthood, that's cool. I just want to open up options for our for our guest writers in terms of their career path within the round table modality. So there we go, Justin, dude. This has been fabulous. Uh, uh, the points that you raised were spot on and really elevated the discussion. You, sir, are the reason why we bring uh, experienced guest hosts into the roundtable, man. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me, Dave. I hope I was helpful, Luke. And if I wasn't, it was Dave that had all the ideas. That's right. It's my fault. <laughs> my fault. No, absolutely. This is awesome. <laughs> should, Got lots should I of stuff put to that work into the disclaimers? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If it is all bullshit, it's Dave's bullshit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and Katerina, my, my, my charming co-host, thank you. This has been a delight, not, not only to, to, to bring in a transcontinental element to this, but, but you and I have been, been circling at the round table and in Rotano for, for years now. And it's been a real pleasure having you sitting by my side, ma'am. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. It was an honor. <laughs> it was a blast. Good times. And as long as we're doling out gratitude, dear friends, as always, thank you for hitting that play button and tuning in. Without you, we're, we're just trunk noveling everything that we're doing here, and that's never any fun. Uh, so if, you wanna, if you're feeling the love, you want to pay it forward, there's always a review on iTunes that will help us boost our rankings in the, not rankings in terms of, of score, but just people finding us, because I named this thing the Roundtable Podcast, and that's about as generic as it gets so every review and every review that's up there helps thank you for that we do have a forum now on the roundtable website so by all means if you've got ideas for luke and i i guarantee you you do i know some of you you're sitting there going oh but you totally missed this log into the forums at roundtablepodcast.com and give luke some more literary gold and we can continue the discussion as we go so wow that was fabulous. It's time. I'm I'm lighting a cigarette and pouring a scotch because that was that was good stuff. Uh, but the beauty of it. If you have to call it scotch, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm doing it wrong. Okay, it should be a cup of coffee, shouldn't it? No, it's really just whiskey. There is no other thing than scotch. Uh, okay, all right. I stand. I sit corrected. <laughs> we will pour us a tumbler of whiskey and 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 light up a cigarette and bask in the afterglow of this. But I'm. We can't bask for too long because in seven days, this whole frothing awesomeness starts all over again. Uh, uh, more courageous guest writers bringing forth their stories for brainstorming goodness. More awesome guest hosts pouring wisdom into our ears. More roundtable goodness to be had by all. And I know it's seven days. That's a long time to wait. And, and I feel your pain. Katerina, what can our listeners do between now and then to fill that that great void between roundtable episodes well i think since they're already coughing up i think this week to celebrate the chinese year of the goat they should hug a goat and then go right about it <laughs> and i can hear all the roteno rimo people saying yeah goats yes absolutely good advice good advice and i will tell you as i always do friends you find what you're looking for. So look for the blue label, top shelf goodness, the bright sparkly package at the back of the tree. And if you look for it, dear friends, I promise you, you will find it. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, and be awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast.com and on Twitter, at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.